thanks for checking out this message from Springmount Church. For more information about us and what we do, visit our website, springmount.church. Why not check out all the different groups that run throughout each week in Barrow and on Walney? And join us every Sunday from 11am at Salt House Pavilion in Barrow Infernos. If you would like us as a church to pray for you, please email prayer at springmount.church or sign up on our website for monthly news straight to your inbox. Thanks Paul. Just get my music done. Jeff was over here, wasn't he, last week? That's why. <laughs> Thanks Jeff for that. Last week, those of you who were watching, um, it was very encouraging and I was very encouraged so we're hopefully going to get some lights. There we go. That's a bit better for the viewers at home and probably for everyone in here. Let's stop you going to sleep. So great to have you with us. Uh, we're carrying on our series in 1 Timothy. And I'm going to be looking at 1 Timothy chapter 5 this morning. There's a lot in it. Uh, I'm not going to cover every little bit. Uh, some of our house groups, connect groups, will do further looking at it. Um, but I'm going to be reading from the message version mainly today because I believe it helps us to understand a little bit more clearly some of the things that are being said. So last week, Jeff brought us the three Gs of 1 Timothy chapter 4. Anyone remember what they were? Jeff will, because he's here. So it was, anyone? The three Gs that Jeff brought last week? No, that's encouraging, isn't it, Jeff, when that happens? Always encouraging, okay? It was good minister, yeah? Yeah, okay, what was the second one, Jeff? A godly lifestyle, and the third one, I put growth because it said growth in it, but you changed it to something else, didn't you? It was a growth. Okay, I was right first time. That's good. Um, I thought I'd just been winging it on the Bible study questions. That was all. Well, this week, I am bringing the four R's of 1 Timothy chapter 5. And uh, when I thought about this, it always confused me when at school, they talked about the three R's. Okay? Who at school was told about the three R's? Yeah, yeah. Okay, a few people. What were they? Right, okay, we've got a slight problem, haven't we, really? Those of you who are at home won't have heard here, but here is the problem within our education system, I do believe. Reading, that was the first one. I'll give you that. That starts with an R. Reading, it's good to read. It's great to see people with the Bibles out today. Reading is definitely an R. We all agree on that one, don't we? We've got some American friends with us this morning. We agree that reading begins with an R, don't we, Eric? Yeah, yeah, we do, okay. Good, strong start to the three R's of education. However, the second one is writing. Anyone see the problem so far? Okay, writing begins with a W, uh, um, unless you're spelling it phonetically. So actually, writing starts with a W. It has the R sound, but actually our three R's of education have fallen apart at the second hurdle already. So that's not very good when we're trying to do three of them. Reading, writing, and then by the third one, They've actually just given up totally, haven't they? What's the third one? Arithmetic. Yeah, arithmetic. We may as well say the three R's are reading, writing, and maths. You may as well, you'd be just as accurate, just as close. Reading, writing, and arithmetic. I think somebody was clutching at straws and reaching for something. You could even just say the three R's are reading, penmanship, and maths. There you go. That's the three R's of education. Reading, penmanship, and maths. That's ridiculous, because actually it's got to begin with an R. Maybe that's why the PE teacher in my school always taught geography, because they were a little bit confused. Go on, you know, he'd go outside and say run, and then sometimes he'd come in the classroom and say, now jog. Okay, but anyway, maybe he'd tell me to jog on, but hey, 
So the four R's I want to look at today in 1 Timothy chapter 5 are the following. And there's a few more actually as we go through. But the four R's that are mentioned are respect, R-E-S-P-E-C-T and all that. That definitely starts with an R. Religion, responsibility and reward. So those are the four R's we're going to look at today. Respect, religion, responsibility and reward. Let's read the first section of 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 1 to 2. It says this, Don't be harsh or impatient with an older man. Talk to him as you would your own father and to the younger men as your brothers. Reverently honour an older woman as you would your mother and the younger woman as sisters. That's the first bit. Respect. It's talking about being patient, not harsh, with the older man. It says in the NIV version, don't rebuke the older people. Don't rebuke them. That word rebuke isn't the same as it's used everywhere else. It basically means don't strike out. We'll come to that later. I've mentioned before in church, from this position, many older men who have really been a help to me on my journey and in my life. They've had a huge impact on my family. They've had a huge impact on my ministry. I respect them massively. And it's easy, isn't it, to respect somebody who actually has helped us. It's easy to respect somebody who has helped us on our journey, who has had an impact, who has done something good. Really easy to respect them, isn't it, no matter how old they are. And actually, in these first two verses, it talks about the older men, but then it talks about the younger men as well. There's got to be a respect both ways. Then it talks about the older women and the younger women. So it's respect, reverence for people. Basically, be patient, don't be harsh. I respect massively the people who've spoken into my life. But the previous chapter that that Jeff mentioned last week, Paul says to Timothy, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. That was my baptism verse, okay? Don't let anybody look down on you because you're young. And we could stop there and say, that's great. No one's looking down on me. So you've got, who's the youngest person in here? Is it Edie today? Okay. You're the youngest, I think you are. Don't let anybody look down on you because you're young. That's good, isn't it? It's a good message. But then there's another bit afterwards. So you can't just stick with that bit. It goes, but set an example. Okay? So don't let people look down on you because you're little or because you're small or because you're young. But set an example. Set an example for other people. And then people will respect you. Part of that example, Paul's saying now, is to be patient with older people to be patient with those who've gone before us, to be patient with those who've done the journey before, to to revere them and to respect them. As I say, the word used in the NIV is don't rebuke an older man. And that word rebuke literally means to strike out at or to hit. So it's basically saying don't get so angry you want to punch them in the face, okay? Sometimes that's hard, you know? I, you know, my dad, I love him to bits. He's probably watching now. And my mum, I love her to bits as well. But they are older. And I wouldn't say I'd want to punch them in the face. I wouldn't want to. I respect them massively. But obviously, there's times where they try your patience. And actually, Paul says to Timothy, be patient. Don't be harsh. That's part of setting that example he's been told. Don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. But set the example. Be patient. Don't be harsh. Don't be argumentative. Don't be angry. The word is, is not really here the same as used is later. It says later on that the pastor has to rebuke people. And that word rebuke sounds harsh to our ears, doesn't it? We think of a rebuke as a real telling off. But actually that word basically means to show them from God's truth 
where they're perhaps going slightly, slightly astray. So actually, we're told to respect, we're told to rebuke, we're told to point out and correct, but we've got to be patient. Later in verse 20, it tells us we've got to, but it's not to be done in an aggressive manner, especially towards those who are older and have gone before. So those of you who are older to me, than me today, I've got to be patient with you. Surely I've got to be patient with you. No matter how difficult I find it sometimes, I've got to be patient. You know, some people, Alan, it's easy to be patient with you, you know, but sometimes it's really hard. I love you to bits, Shirley. You're wonderful. So, so to build the church, we need to not look down on younger people. That's what Jeff brought us last week. But also, younger people, you need to set the example and respect those that are older. You need to be patient. You might think of yourself, well, I'm not younger because I'm not Edie's age. But, you know, Steph, you're younger than me, so you've got to respect me. Okay? Simon, you've got to respect everybody that's on your, on your row there. You've got to respect. Younger people need to set the example. But we need to be patient with the older generation. Brian Houston spoke at an XL men's conference uh, a couple of years ago. And he said this phrase, he said, we need to respect the past, but we don't need to live there. We need to respect the past, but we're not supposed to live there. That's what he said, and that's the pastor of Hillsong's church. He said he goes home from his church service and puts on the God channel and watches some old school hymn program that he absolutely loves. He said, but I wouldn't necessarily want to be singing those in church because actually I don't feel that they're relevant today, but they were to me in my youth so he respects that past, but actually, he says we're not supposed to live there. What does that mean? It means we learn from those that have gone before. We learn from people's experience, and we move forwards with that experience. We move forwards. Mobile phones are amazing, aren't they? Yeah? Who of us these days ends up getting lost anywhere? It's almost impossible, isn't it? It is almost impossible, because in our mobile phone... We have an app that can guide us pretty much anywhere, so long as the app has been updated, unless you're still working on a brick, Sandra, okay? Or unless somebody gives you the wrong number for a house, Babs, yeah? Okay? We can't get lost because it's in our phones. Before that, what did we have? We had a sat-nav that we plugged into our car, and we took it with us on a journey in our car. And sometimes you could walk around. I can remember walking around London with a sat-nav in my hand to guide me around the streets. I probably looked a bit stupid, but I, I didn't get lost. I found my way around. Before the sat-nav, what did we have? Oh, we had road atlases. Before the road atlas, we might have had an A to Z. We might have had then just a single map. And back in the day, it was word of mouth, wasn't it? If we were respecting the past, we respect those people who made the maps. We respect those people who drew up all those street names, who, who made sure that they had listed every single one in every town. But isn't it better to have that mobile phone today that can guide us anywhere? I know some people will be sitting there going, no, I love my ordnance survey map. I love my Wainwright's walks around the lakes. But actually, the mobile phone in a city respects the past, all the work that's been done to draw up the map. But it hasn't lived there. It moves forward to help us even more. All the work before isn't in vain. All the work before isn't in vain. But the important thing is, it's simply used to keep us moving forwards. And as a Christian, it's to keep us moving forwards and closer to God. It's moving into our community. It's moving into our spaces so that we can tell them the good news. And we can love them. And love them some more. 
So we respect the history and the experience, but let's be history makers. Let's move forward. Let's not just live in the history. Let's make history. The second R is religion. Don't really like that word. Someone says to me, oh, you're religious, you go to church. I could be religious and go and watch Liverpool. If I went every week, I can't at the moment, obviously, but if you went every week and bought all the clothes and the clothes, kits, you know what I mean, uniforms, outfits, there you go. If you bought all the kits, I could religiously follow Liverpool. You know, we could religiously follow Barrow. We could religiously do something because it's just routine. It just means we do it because we do it because we do it. Actually, I don't like that word because as a Christian, we have a relationship with Jesus. However, Jesus is where religion, something gets done. (laughs) Jesus' religion is where it's love that does. Religion starts at home. James chapter 1 verse 27 in the NIV says this, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this. So this is religion. This is the Bible definition of religion. To look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep yourself from being polluted by the world. That's religion. To look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep yourself from being polluted. That's religion. That's not going to church, not reading my Bible, not praying. It's active, isn't it? And yet religion has become this word that actually is quite negative because people just do it out of routine. Or people just do it because it's what they do on a Sunday. Or people just do it because they think the parents told them it was good to do. Guys, the R here should be relationship. It should be an aim to be in relationship with Jesus. To be in relationship with one another. And how do we do that? Through love. Loving him and loving others. And then we will see true religion. True religion is what James says. Then Paul says to Timothy in this chapter a very similar message. Verses 3 to 5, or sorry, 3 to 8 say this. Take care of widows. There we go. It goes back to it, doesn't it? Take care of widows who are destitute. If a widow has family members to take care of her, let them learn, and this is the R, that religion begins at their own doorstep. I like that phrase. Religion begins at your own doorstep. And that they should pay back with gratitude some of what they've received. This pleases God immensely. You can tell a legitimate widow by the way she's put all her hope in God, praying to him constantly for the needs of others as well as her own. But a widow who exploits people's emotions and pocketbooks, in other words, money, well, there's nothing to her. Tell these things to the people so that they will do the right thing in their extended family. That's the church family. Anyone who neglects to care for family members in need repudiates. There's another R, repudiates. Do we know what that means? Do you know what that means, Barry? No, I had to look it up as well. It's all right, I had to look it up. Repudiates the faith. That's worse than refusing to believe in the first place. Wow, religion begins at our own doorsteps. Chloe, my daughter, is a little bit of a sucker for animal charities. When she was younger, but old enough to go there herself, she went to the animal park and sponsored a hippo. And I think she thought it was going to come and live in our garden, even at the age of about 17. And she paid money for this hippo. And she got a cuddly toy, and she got all these things. And I'm like, that's great. We can go into town and see the sponsor-adopter-dog people. You know, the ones in yellow. And I'm, you know, great. But actually, we often feel that, you know, (laughs) people aren't quite as easy to deal with as animals. 
Maybe we see those adopt-a-dog things or we see those, those, those hippos needing sponsoring at the animal park and maybe we go, oh, I need to help them. And yet actually when our fellow man is struggling, we perhaps sometimes turn a blind eye. And maybe sometimes we don't really care quite as much as we do about that little puppy that looks so fluffy and cuddly and gorgeous. Yeah? Because Paul says to Timothy, religion starts on our own doorstep. It's got to start with us. Religion isn't about going to church. It starts on your doorstep. It starts every time you wake up and go out of your house and how you treat other people. That is true religion. Anyone who neglects to care for family repudiates the faith. Repudiates. I'm going to teach you something this morning. Okay, repudiates means this. Reject. There's a better word, isn't it? Okay. If you don't care for the family, you reject faith. That's what it's saying. If we do nothing about this Jesus we say we love, if we do nothing about this faith that we have, and if we don't act out of faith, then we reject it. And actually it says we're worse than those who don't have any faith. So come on, church. Let's not repudiate. (laughs) Let's not reject. And let's not just be religious. But let's be in relationship with a God who wants to care for everybody. And how does he want to do it? Through you and me. Another R rejects the faith. Wow. In fact, as I say, the church family is, is this as well. We need to be caring for the extended family, for the wider family of God. 1 Timothy 5 verses 9 to 10 says this. Sign some widows up. <laughs> He's obsessed a bit with widows in this passage. Obviously, remember at this time, the widows were the ones who were downtrodden and trampled and not important. They didn't have a man to look after them anymore. They didn't have anyone. So that's why it's a key thing in the church. There was clearly a lot of them, a lot of widows who had nothing. Sign some widows up for the special ministry of offering assistance. They will in turn receive support from the church here you go, if you want to know what you need to be, they must be over 60. Anyone, anyone qualify? I'm not going to be rude. Okay, over 60, married only once, or probably not at all, that's fine. Obviously, if they're a widow, they'd have to be married, wouldn't they? And have a reputation. There's another R. Have a reputation. What's the reputation got to be? For helping out with children, strangers, tired Christians, the hurt and troubled. That's what caring for the family looks like. That's what religion looks like. Helping out with children, strangers, tired Christians, the hurt and trouble. And you've got to have the reputation for doing it. That means people have got to know that you do it. Not just you say, oh, I've done this, I've done the other. People have got to see it without you telling them that you do it. There's some pretty specific guidance. And as I say, remember these widows were seen as unreliable. The church is saying, sign them up. The church was radical. The women were seen as unreliable. The church is saying, sign them up. So don't ever feel that you're not good enough. Don't ever feel that you can't be doing anything because here, the people, the very people who were seen as being unable to do anything were being said, sign them up. Sign them up. Get them to help. So long as they've got a reputation for doing good. I can think of loads of people in Springmount who are helping out the hurt, the tired Christians, the troubled, the strangers. And this is a special ministry. Who'd like a special ministry? Yeah. This special ministry is called offering assistance. (laughs) Doesn't sound quite as glamorous, does it, as as anything else? Offering assistance. You know, if I said, who wants to be in the band? 
you know, the lad, the, the lad that we foster at the moment has started doing a bit of drums. He's like, when can I play in church? I'm like, no. You know, so far you can play one pan. It's very good. He's done very well. But actually, it takes more than being capable on an instrument to be stood up here. You need to have that good reputation. You also need to be reliable. But actually, who wants to be in the band? We might get a load of people going, yes, me, I'd love to be in the band. I love singing, I love worshipping, sign me up. Maybe if I said, yeah, who wants to speak and share? Maybe not quite as many hands, because it can be a bit scary, a bit daunting, and it's, it, you know, it's hard work. But if I said, who wants to be an assistance offerer? <laughs> Maybe not quite as many volunteers. Maybe not quite as many people going, yes, me, 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 me. But actually, Paul is saying to Timothy, this is vital for the family. We need assistance offerers. We need people with a ministry to offer assistance. We need that here today in Spring Mount. Are you able? And I won't limit it to over 60s. And I won't limit it to people who've only been married once. I won't limit it to people who've been married at all. We want people who've got a good reputation, who's got a heart to love their community, who's got a heart to love the Lord, and who's got a heart to serve. Could that be you? We need religion to start on our own doorstep, and we need it to build the church family and reach our community. As I read this passage, I thought it was really interesting that Anna Chaplitzy was on the bulletin, because actually that's something that's being launched. Babs and churches together are launching this ministry of visiting older members in homes, of visiting the lonely, the hurt, the tired Christians, the troubled, those that are struggling with life, those maybe who've, who've got the early onset of dementia or even later, those that are troubled, those that are tired. This is what Paul says to Timothy we need to do. And as a church, somebody is stepping out to lead it. But she'll need assistance offerers. And she'll need people who say, yep, yeah, I can do that. I can be a voice on the end of a phone who could offer help and assistance. Shirley and Ross, they're working with all the others at Walney to provide for the troubled in these times, to provide assistance for our community. But they also need assistance offerers. They need people who are willing to help, and so many have, some of them in this room today. Donna is working with the hurt and tired and the troubled, and she needs people with this special ministry of assisting. Paul says to Timothy, this is what we need. But we need people to realize that religion starts on their own doorstep. And the third hour is this, responsibility. The responsibility is ours. It's not mine, it's actually yours. The responsibility is your personal thing of saying, how can I get involved? How can I serve? How can I offer assistance so that my religion is what God wants? That it's relationship and that it's service. Building the church today requires respect for the past. It needs religion to start on our own doorstep. And the responsibility needs to be ours. We can't expect everyone else to do it for us. We need to step up and take responsibility for helping the troubled and the tired, the hurt and the broken. We need to do that. If I said to you this morning, why are you a Christian? What would you say? If I said, why are you a Christian? You might say your testimony of because I had this experience where I recognized that I needed Jesus, I needed forgiveness. You might say, I'm a Christian because I was brought up in a church and I recognized it was the right way to go and so I gave my, gave my life to Jesus. But that's not what I mean. Why are you a Christian? It's to follow Christ. 
And what did Christ do? He gave it all. He gave it all. Why are you a Christian? Maybe a better question is this. What is God calling you to be or do as a Christian? What is God calling you, you personally, to be or to do as a Christian? Because that is what makes a Christian a Christian. Somebody who follows the leader, Christ. What did he do? Died. Rose again. Served. Washed feet. Fed the hungry. Spoke to the people who were on the fringes of community. Went and ate with people who were seen as unclean. What are we called to do? Don't just come to church. Don't just sit watching church. Be the church. Isaiah 61 has been an important passage to many of us in church. And verse 1, Jesus himself quoted this. So when I say, why are you a Christian? Maybe you need to reflect on these verses. Isaiah 61 verses 1 to 7 says, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me. Are we filled with the Spirit as Christians? Yes, we are. What's it on me for? Because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news. Who to? The poor. Good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to heal to heal those that are damaged, to proclaim freedom from the captives, to, to say to people who are on drugs and alcohol, you don't need to be this way forever. There is a God who can help. There is a higher power, and his name is Jesus. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the captives, release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn. And it goes down below and it says, they will be called oaks of righteousness. It says they will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places. How many hours have we got now? Rebuilders, restorers. <sighs> yeah? What is God calling us to do? Rebuilding ancient ruins, restoring places long devastated and renewing cities. There's more than four hours in this passage. Maybe the challenge will be to look at today's talk and see how many hours you can get. Because they all link together. Because it's what God wants for us. He wants us to be the people he's called us to be. Final four, final four, final R, fourth R. <laughs> The R number's important at the minute, isn't it? So it's quite appropriate that I'm talking about R's, really, isn't it? The fourth R, I like this R because it starts with this, 1 Timothy 5, 17. Give a bonus to leaders who do a good job. I'm going to stop there, okay? That's the end of the sermon this morning. Give a bonus to leaders. I felt last week I got my bonus because actually I was so encouraged. I was so encouraged. Uh, Jeff encouraged me by what he said and shared. Somebody said, did it not make you squirm? I'm like, no, because the way Jeff did it, I knew it was very sincere. And I knew that, you know, he wouldn't say it if he didn't mean it, because I know what Jeff's like. <laughs> but actually, I was encouraged by others after that. And so that's my bonus, knowing that actually I might have helped somebody. The fourth R is reward. Reward those who do a good job. No, I want as a church to be a place where we can reward those that do a good job. Bobby Joe, our Facebook welcomer every week, those of you who've been on Facebook, he says hello to everybody. You might be there this morning. Hiya, Bobby Joe. He cleaned my car this week, and all he wanted was a cup of coffee. <laughs> that was great. That was his reward for cleaning my car, and it was a mess. So thanks, Bobby Joe. If anyone else wants the car cleaning, he's cheap. That's the only reward he asks for, okay? That and some tunes. He calls them tunes. Noise is probably more appropriate. But anyway. Also, I was rewarded by Barry. If you, if you want to play and sing a song for Barry, he'll buy you a Domino's. It's great. Domino's. That's better than a cup of coffee. I've not had it yet, but I'll let you know when it comes. Reward. Do you know, 
we finish with this. Respect the past. Recognize religion starts with us at our doorstep. And it's our responsibility to act. But there will be a reward. No matter what you're going through right now, if you follow Christ, there is the promise of reward. Not necessarily today, not even necessarily in this life on our earth. But he's already won a victory over sin. He's already won a victory over death. He's already beaten the stuff that will drag you down. And one day, he says, you will be in a place where there is no pain, no suffering, no sorrow, no sadness, only joy. Is that not a reward? Is that not a reward for being, doing the right thing, for having that reputation that's good, for stepping up, stepping out, and for being assistance offerers? I believe it is. Because Jesus says, I love you. I want you to come and follow me. And I've prepared a room for you. I've prepared your own place. You know, I've prepared a room for a few people over the last few years, and it didn't, wasn't up to much. Jesus prepares a place that will be the most amazing place you've ever stayed. And actually, it's for eternity. How did he do it? By dying and taking the punishment that we deserved. He got the punishment. We get the reward. So religion starts here. What are we going to do about it? Because we can leave here today, you can turn your telly off today, and you can go, that was nice, and tomorrow you forget about it. Make plans. Be active. Decide what you're going to step out to do. Listen to what God wants you to do first. And then, be the people with the reputation. Be the people that others see as assistance offers. And live for the one who died for you. Let's pray. Father, I thank you today that you are a God who doesn't require us to just religiously follow some rules, but that you're a God that says, I want to be your, your, your father. I want to be your dad. And Jesus is our brother. And here as church, we have extended family as brothers and sisters in you. Father, I pray, Lord, that we will not just look out for ourselves but that we will look out for all the others that are around us. Father, that we will care for the widows and the orphans, that we will be assistance offerers to those that are hurt and troubled, that we will be assistance offerers to the tired Christian, that we'll be assistance offerers to those who just can't carry on. And Father God, help us to sustain with your spirit. So Father, we just pray that these words will have made some dent in our hearts. And I pray, Lord, that we will choose today to make plans to be your people. In Jesus' name, amen.